0: Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. We'll be looking at verses 16 through 18. It's a simple, short message. Following the parable of the sower that we looked at a few weeks ago, it was related to the proclamation of God's word and the various soils in which it lands. Now the, the good soil was where it ended, which bears much fruit. And that fruit is the multiplication of the word received the reason why I think that's what is really at, at work there, the idea that the fruit is multiplying and, and it's bearing much fruit, the, the idea is that it's being proclaimed, um, is evident by this section, because immediately following that parable, he, he stays on the same subject, but he transitions to a different analogy, talking to, instead of the word of God being a seed, now it's a light. Um, And because men love darkness, we don't always appreciate the light, so it reveals and exposes what we want to keep hidden. But the light of of God's word not only illuminates those lost in darkness, it exposes false views and and it enlightens the minds of those who who do not have that knowledge. And so we'll see that in this passage, Um, and that's how we bear fruit. So before we read these verses, let's ask the Lord for his help in understanding it. Heavenly Father, we thank you that once again we can open your word and we can know that that you will speak. We pray that our hearts would be softened, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear this truth, and that it would have its full impact in our lives. So Lord, be glorified through this time. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Read with me Luke chapter 8, verses 16 through 18. No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Amen, this is God's holy word. So the first thing we see is that God's word illuminates in verse 16. Lamps are not supposed to be covered. You don't light a lamp and then cover it up. Um, that would defeat its very purpose, right? The, the whole point of the light is to Bring light into dark to darkness, to a dark room. So covering the lamp would hurt everyone in the room where we wouldn't be able to see, um, including the one who covered it. Lamps instead are meant to be displayed. The light is is meant to be a benefit to everyone who enters. And the passage doesn't clarify who the recipients of that light are. It's not like we could say, Well, here's the lamp the light of God's word, and and oh, we've got we've got some good friends coming over, so let me put this one right on in the middle of the dinner table and display it for everyone, and and we'll be real well proud of of God's word tonight. And then when you have someone else coming over who you're not necessarily as fond of, or you're worried about how they might perceive the light, maybe it's too bright for them, so you think, well, I'm gonna tonight, I'm gonna put that light into the garage. I'm gonna hide it from them. That's that, again, defeats the purpose. The lamp is supposed to be there and anyone who enters the room is supposed to see and recognize that light and be impacted by it for good or bad, right? Some will, will, will be discouraged by that light. They'll, they'll have filthy clothes on that they'll want to hide and the light exposes that filth. Um, but others will, will benefit because they'll be able to, to see clearly. And so we don't hide it from some and display it for others. When we receive God's word, as it's intended to be received, we delight to share it for the edification of others. And that's not just those who are outside the church. That's thinking in terms of your family, using God's word in conversation, in speech. That means obviously that we need to know God's word enough to use it in language. And that doesn't mean that you need to have a verse for every statement you make or that you have to quote God's word and, you know, sort of Pride yourself in, in knowing reference and verse all the time. But when God's word penetrates our hearts, we delight to share it, to edify others. In fact, the song we, we sang here, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery, is an invitation for everyone to come and to behold that mystery, to, to think about it, to dwell upon it, meditate upon it, be encouraged by the truth of the gospel. And so not everyone will receive it. Some, many, in fact, will reject that gospel truth. Um, but that shouldn't hinder our proclamation of it. J.C. Ryle says the highest form of selfishness is that of the man who is content to go to heaven alone. The truest charity is to endeavor to share with others every spark of religious light we possess ourselves and so to hold our own candle that it may give light to everyone around us. And again that's not taking that's not distinguishing between some and and you know like well I I know they'll enjoy this or appreciate it it's it's showing that light to everyone being unashamed of the gospel recognizing that it is the power of God and that it will do its work um, so the so the light of God's word illuminates the truth for those living in darkness and that means they have to hear it that means they have to realize that they are walking in darkness. Romans chapter 10, 14 through 15 says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So we go and preach because that is how God has planned for people to hear the gospel truth. It's illumination. It's never to be a singular act. It's not just something that happens personally. It's meant to be shared. It's plural. It's for others. So Jesus calls us to involve others in that process. And as the light of God's word illuminates, it will inevitably expose things that maybe people don't realize are in the darkness. So God's word illuminates and God's word exposes. Verse 17 says, for nothing is hidden that will, not be, that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Now, those of you who love grammar know that there's a lot of double negatives in there. This is like a, a double negatives dream to be used so much, right? There's nothing, nothing is hidden that will not become manifest. That's a double negative nor will any secret not become known. Another double negative. In other words, whatever is hidden will become visible and secrets will become known. So what does Jesus mean by that? Is he talking about our sin? Is he saying every sin that you've committed will be exposed? We know that that is true, that that we will face the judgment and that the works we do for him will be rewarded and those that were done for impure motives will be, will be burned up. So what does Jesus mean here? This, this, this is similar to what we read in John chapter 3, um, verses 19 through 20. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works would be exposed. So could that be the idea here? Certainly some of the commentators took that approach. They, uh, they viewed this as, a, as an exposing of sin, that God's word exposes our sin. And that will be true at the last judgment, as I, I've already said, um, where we'll give an account for every thought, word, and deed. But I do think Jesus has a different idea in mind here. Because he uses the same language just a few chapters later in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. He says, In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together, they were trampling one another. And he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Speaking of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and their teaching, he uses the exact same language. So therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Now, he doesn't mention the Pharisees in this passage directly, but if, if Luke is being consistent and there's no reason to think he, he's not being consistent, uh, then what he's using this language for is the idea that it's exposing false teaching. That it's exposing, it's going to expose the false teaching of the Pharisees. When you rightly receive God's truth, the light of God's word exposes their false teaching. Um, but it would also apply to any false teaching, right? Not just the Pharisees. It's it's anyone who has a false world view. It exposes it as counterfeit. So God does the work of of holding up His word against all false teaching and exposes. What is, uh, what is counterfeit? So biblical preachers should never fear speaking truth that is countercultural because it's expected to be an exposing kind of teaching. It's expected to expose what is false, and it's unfortunate that many pastors today become popular by minimizing these things. Right? They they tickle the ears of their listeners. They tell them what they want to hear, so they minimize things like passages that speak of war or judgment or justice or sin or wrath or hell or punishment, all of these things that we find throughout God's Word. In fact, it's really hard to avoid them. You've got to be very intentional to preach in such a way that you don't show this kind of character, these themes that are are a bit unsavory for our modern culture. And so that doesn't mean at the same time that we should become so fired up to preach these things that all we do is preach hellfire and brimstone, that we're simply condemning everyone who comes within earshot. And there's a balance to God's word, and it needs, needs to be maintained by all. So God's word corrects every other false worldview, exposes them as another fruitless endeavor to save ourselves. If God's word exposes, then we should be enthusiastic about the study of apologetics, right? We as believers should want to know how to defend our faith and we should have every confidence that we can do so, right? That, that it is true and that what we explain will not only um, illuminate the darkness, it, 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 it defends those who challenge our faith but it also exposes the false idols at the same time right, as we use God's word uh, to defend our faith. So again, similar to illuminating the truth, God's word also enlightens the mind. And we'll close with this idea in verse 18. Take care then how you hear. So he's talking about light, illuminating and exposing, and now he's talking about hearing. Take care how you hear. the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. So the one who has will get more. That's not possessions. It's knowledge. The one who hears carefully, receives knowledge, and pursues more knowledge, and gets more knowledge. And the one who doesn't, who's indifferent towards God's word, Loses what he thinks he has. He thinks he's filled with knowledge right, because he sits in a pew every, every Sunday. But in fact, he's going to lose what he thinks he has. And the one who has will be given more. So he receives knowledge. He receives enlightenment. The careful hearer is rewarded with knowledge. And then the knowledgeable person continues to pursue and receive more knowledge. It's, it's an ever-progressing knowledge, right, that we will pursue for all eternity. There's some, the, the passive forms here, this, which imply that God is the one doing the rewarding. God is the one giving us knowledge, uh, giving the careful hearer knowledge. So God continues to grant fruit to those who patiently pursue it. Remember how we ended two weeks ago in verse 15, bear fruit with patience, Right? You're, the, the, the good soil will bear fruit, and he'll bear that with patience, meaning it's not just a simple process. It's not like you just don't, don't do anything. It requires patience. It requires waiting. It requires the farmer to watch and to, and to be doing the work at the right time. So again, as we pursue knowledge from God, we patiently meditate upon his work. We, we do what we can to listen. We do whatever, we, whatever it takes to, to get our, our thoughts focused upon his word. And that sometimes means writing notes, asking questions and, and listening for the answers. But whatever it is that we do, we are patiently pursuing to bear fruit. And so we ought to be like the Bereans, Right, In Acts chapter 17, verses 10 and 11, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. There was an eagerness to receive the word. I love seeing that eagerness. Right? You can tell when someone's eager to know, eager to learn, eager to sit under God's word. Because it shows the heart of a Berean here who wants to receive this truth and to be transformed by it. And that's why it's important that we prepare our hearts to sit under, under the preaching of God's word. That's Why we talk about the need to do that on a personal level, as a family even, even just in the moments before, right, where we take a few moments there to prepare our hearts for worship. Not long, it's 10, 15 seconds, but it's quieting our hearts before the Lord. It's, it's setting aside the distractions and focusing because we know and expect and anticipate God to speak. Again, um, if you recall, we, when we preached through First Peter chapter 2, said, put away all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. If you've tasted that the Lord is good, then you begin to crave that spiritual milk and you set aside everything else to receive more of that. Just like a newborn who doesn't crave a whole lot except for milk, right? Everything else just kind of happens naturally. But as that when that newborn craves something, it's usually food. it wants milk. We should be like that for God's word. Again, J.C. Ryle suggests that we take heed by endeavoring to hear with faith, reverence, and prayer. And kind of a simple way of summarizing how we can prepare our hearts, to think about it in terms of faith, reverence, and prayer. That's why there's that prayer of illumination um, or not prayer of illumination. that's, that's right before our, our preaching. Um, but, but the prayer of invocation right after the call to worship. The idea there is that we're, we're recognizing God to be God. We're recognizing that he has called us into worship. And so we want to respond in, with a proper attitude. We want to be ready to receive from him. And so we have that reverence. And we're filled with faith and we're prayerful. Throughout the service, even as we're not necessarily putting anything in the offering, we're, we're praying along with those who are, asking for the Lord to bless. So every element of the worship service is an act of faith, is an act of worship. So the light of God's word illuminates the darkness, it exposes false teaching, and it enlightens the careful hearer. And so let us take care to hear God's word in this way. There are many ways to go about that. Right? There's no single private method of study that's laid out for us in Scripture that we should all go with this particular met- a plan of reading, that you have to read God's Word the whole way through once a year, and, or that you have to follow a particular plan of how you're reading God's Word. There's a lot of ways to do that. Um, but it is interesting that the preaching of God's Word is highlighted. highlighted by the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Question 89, it says, how is the word made effectual to salvation? How is the word of God made effectual to salvation? The answer is the spirit of God maketh the reading, but especially the preaching of the word an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners and of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. So it highlights the importance of preaching. In fact, for most of the history of the church, you wouldn't have had the opportunity to do private scripture reading like we do today. Most homes wouldn't have had the Bible in in their homes. So the preaching of God's word, and yet at the same time, I, I as I say that this was written at a time when God's word was being, ex, you know, uh, sent out, and and many homes did have it. All right, so this was. After 100 years after the Reformation, right? So the printing press was well underway. The scriptures were being um, copied and passed out. Um, And so there probably was that opportunity. And yet, even still, the Westminster um, divines highlight the value of, of sitting under the preaching of the word. Because God seems to especially highlight the importance of preaching for those who hear his word. And so if we believe this, then we should come expecting to hear from the Lord. We should come expecting him to speak. We should come in reliance upon the Holy Spirit uh, to speak to us. Um, When the helper comes, whom whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have have been with me from the beginning. This is John 15, 26 through 27. Speaking of the promise of the helper, the Holy Spirit comes to illuminate that truth and to expose false teaching and to grant us more understanding. So we expect to receive both the conviction of false teaching um, or sin that is uh, exposed by that truth, as well as the comfort of a deeper understanding of the gospel. And so if I could summarize this passage, I'd say it like this. Let us carefully hear the word so that we might faithfully proclaim the word. That there's a receiving of the word in the right way and then there's an expressing of the word outwardly to others. So let us take care to regularly participate in the ordinary means of grace. Let us allow God's word to have its full impact upon us. That we might delight to speak of it to everyone. God's word illuminates, exposes, and enlightens all who hear it by the power of the Spirit. And the light must penetrate us internally before it can shine out externally. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this truth. We thank you.